What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this valuable video, I tell you about the three stages that every dividend investor goes through, something that should help you build your portfolio better as you push for retirement. But first I want to shout out the folks who've just joined me as GenX channel partners. So thank yous go out to Richard Mariano, Lance Dick, and Omar. I originally was going to wait to do shoutouts until people had gotten to the year mark of being channel partners, but since I just started offering this new service, I figured I'd thank the OG signups. I'll tell you more about my channel partner program at the end of this video, but now I want to briefly talk about money and health and retirement. Feel free to use the timestamp on screen if you want to jump straight to the section where I start talking about the three stages, but I recommend you don't skip ahead. Now most of you know that I'm super passionate about getting everyone to invest because investing has been such a positive game changer for my life. And not only does it help my financial health, but investing also improves my mental health. I mean we all know that money issues cause stress and 90% of Americans say that money stress has had a range of negative effects on their physical health. And the worse your health gets, the more your healthcare costs tend to go up, which can then stress you out even more. Some people's financial stresses lead to loss of sleep, high blood pressure, issues with romantic relationships and with family life, etc. I saw this data that found that there's a correlation between higher income and higher levels of emotional and physical health. Like if your income is under 40k a year, then only about half the people consider themselves to be emotionally healthy or physically healthy. But once you make over 100k a year, then about 70% of people consider themselves to be emotionally healthy or physically healthy. Of course, everybody has struggles they deal with, even if they have a bit of wealth. Like I have a bunch of health issues due to some stuff I was born with. My friends were surprised to find out about my health stuff because they always saw me as the guy who always ate right and exercised a ton. But I guess sometimes you can't beat your genes. So while some of you might be envious of my portfolio, just realize that I'd gladly trade it to be a healthy 20 year old again. Unfortunately, most of us don't realize that the most important things we have are our time and our health. But while my health issues suck, I also have some things I feel fortunate about. And one of the things I'm very grateful for is that I started investing. Now money doesn't bring you permanent happiness, but it does bring you some short-term pleasure. Or a more complete answer is that obviously money is a big part of our lives, and up to a certain income level will indeed affect our satisfaction in terms of meeting basic needs and providing for our families. But true happiness comes from meaningful relationships and personal growth from challenging activities. It comes from setting and meeting goals and finding purpose broader than oneself. All that being said, I personally find that each dollar I invest brings me a greater sense of financial security along with more joy knowing that my kids will have better financial futures than I ever had. Seeing that dividend cash automatically show up in my accounts is such a dopamine hit that it makes investing all the more motivating and I think that aspect of dividends is woefully undervalued. My dividends flowing in also helps lower any stress I might be feeling and lowering stress levels is key to long term health. So try to manage your stress and try not to stress about things that happened in your past. Like lots of people worry that they didn't invest enough when they were younger. But what actual value do you get from worrying? The reality is that you gotta stop ruminating about past mistakes because there's literally nothing you can do about it. So sure, learn from your mistakes, but don't waste another second regretting what happened or what you did or didn't do. And beyond living in the past, you also don't wanna worry needlessly about your future. This data from Pew Research of adults in the U.S. found that 50% of lower income folks worry about being able to save enough for retirement versus 37% of the middle income folks versus 26% for upper income people. Thus, it's normal to be concerned, but work on living frugally and investing intelligently, and I'm confident you'll be able to make it without stressing. Just do your best, figure out what step to take next, and you'll somehow make it. Besides, you really don't know what your future is going to look like, so don't stress. That doesn't mean ignore it, I just mean plan and live intelligently. Psychologists have found that 85% of what people worry about never actually happens. So when you're stressing about something in the future, all you're really doing is losing happiness in the present as well as wasting time worrying about something that probably won't happen. Instead of worrying, just take action. I mean, doing something is often the best way to create a better future. And I think you should be hopeful about your brighter tomorrow because I bet your dividends are going to help you out more than you realize. Maybe your dividends will end up paying for your vacation at Glacier National Park in Montana with your family. 
Or just imagine how your retirement is going to happen as your dividends pay your bills, even though retirement is getting harder for so many people out there. In fact, in the last month, a close relative of mine and one of my best friends both told me that they didn't think they'd ever be able to retire and that they'd be working until they croaked. Not because they wanted to, but because they'd financially have to. These guys are both college-educated folks with good careers, and yet neither sees a realistic way they could ever retire, which really sucks. Now, part of the problem is that only some people recognize the importance of retirement preparation, and many aren't doing what it takes to actually retire. And now is really tough with lots of people struggling to make ends meet, so they're understandably focused on their immediate needs like food and shelter and childcare and such, thus investing for the future is taking a back seat. And some people haven't learned how to invest, and they get confused by all the financial terms and complexities and investment options. Combine that with the fact that they might not have someone they could turn to to ask questions about financial things, and all of that can lead to a pretty rocky road to reach retirement. This data I found showing average expected retirement age from Zipia.com highlights how things have been trending worse. The orange line represents people who estimated they'd be over 65 before they could retire, and you can see that in 1995, only 15% of people thought they'd have to wait that long. And that as time progressed, the number of people who expected they'd have to retire over age 65 trended up. Like in 2018, it had risen up to 40% of workers. And conversely, the blue line represents people who expected to retire under age 59. And in 1995, that was around 27%. But then as time went on, that kept decreasing, down to about 12% of people in 2018. So basically, the expected age of retirement has kept increasing over the last two decades. And then this data corroborates that, showing how expected retirement age increases as people grow older. Like people in their 20s expect to retire when they're 55, but those in their 30s estimate retiring at 60, people in their 40s and 50s estimate retiring at 65, and people still working in their 60s expect to retire at about 68. And while those were all guesses as to when folks could retire, this data unfortunately confirms their guesses. So in 2002, the average retirement age was 59, and then over the next 20 years it raised to 64. That's a big delta increasing 5 years over 2 decades. But I have confidence that you guys will all do better than the averages, and if you keep investing intelligently then I'm confident you'll retire sooner and better than those around you. Investing is the best way I know of to make early retirement or really retirement at all a possibility. And the first stage that dividend investors, and in fact pretty much all investors go through, is the accumulation stage. This is when you've learned the basics on how to invest and you start driving money into the market, hopefully early in life. And the younger you start, the riskier you can be because you have more time to recover if things go wrong. I personally prefer investing in blue chip dividend stocks from large US companies because they're usually proven their ability to make it through bad times. Plus some awesome growth companies do pay dividends, including Microsoft and Apple, both of which I'm long in. Their dividend yields are low because their stock appreciation has been so great, so my point is that you don't need overly risky things to still get good appreciation. Like you don't need to invest in altcoins or unproven IPOs in order to do well in the long run. I mean sure you can invest in things with more risk because more risk can mean more reward, but it also usually means more loss. So the question you want to ask yourself is, how risky do you want to be with your investing as you accumulate assets? Using a baseball analogy, do you want to be someone who hits a lot of singles and slowly scores, or do you want to be someone who swings for the fences but strikes out more with an occasional home run? You can also do a little of each. Like I tend to limit my super risky stuff to be less than 5% of my investments because I'm more of a guy who just wants to keep getting on base. I've become that way because most of my riskier things I've invested in over the years tended to go belly up. Not always, mind you, just frequently enough that it shaped me into slow and steady investing. And besides, I've gotten great returns from blue chip stocks, whether we're talking about Home Depot or Caterpillar or Apple or whatever. And like I always say, the best bet for most people is just to invest in an inexpensive broad market ETF like VTI or VU. And hey, they pay a small dividend as well. You also want to ask yourself how much you want to invest and how frequently, whether you're going more into ETFs or single stocks, what sort of account types you want to use, and basic stuff like that. 
One of the wonderful things about investing is that you can do what makes sense to you based on your risk tolerances and needs and timelines, not what makes sense to anyone else. In my experience, many conservative stocks may not have huge wins, but they also tend not to have huge losses, or at least if they do lose, they tend to come back. And Captain Obvious says that the way to win with dividend stocks is to invest in great companies. The higher the quality of the company, the higher the likelihood that you'll do better as you accumulate more and more. Sometimes you might purposefully invest in companies that you don't think are incredible, but you do so because they align to your needs. Like I'm in retirement and living on dividends, and so I hold some stocks with some higher yields that I don't anticipate will grow as much as some of my lower yield stocks. You also might sometimes invest in something you feel is overpriced, but you decide to do so because you plan to hold forever and because you feel it will still grow faster than other things. Bottom line, invest in good stuff and you'll probably win. In the accumulation stage, I'd probably focus on lower yield, higher dividend CAGR stocks, and I'd sprinkle in some good non-dividend stocks as well. Good companies are ones that are growing and have products and services that people want in all economic cycles and are ones that manage their debt and have persisted through bad times. Bad or risky companies often have unproven track records or might be drowning in debt or might have declining revenues and profits and stuff like that. Of course, there's always diamonds in the rough, and so there'll be new unproven companies that end up doing great, and some will even turn out to be the next Amazon or Microsoft or whatever. Thus, allocating some percentage of your investable assets into unproven companies you really believe in might be something you end up doing as well. Anyway, in this accumulation stage, you should be getting into the habit of investing, and hopefully you're also learning to live within a budget. Unfortunately, many folks don't actively learn about investing, nor do they focus enough upon their financial future. And I get it, a lot of especially younger folks are thinking about the weekend, about partying, video games, dating, whatever, and some of that is good and healthy. This data I found says that 3 out of 4 Gen Zers would rather have a better quality of life than extra money in the bank. And 2 thirds of Gen Zers say that they're only interested in finances as a way to support their other interests in life. My first thought is that I get it, and that balancing your quality of life versus your savings and investments is important, but be careful if you're swinging too far in either direction and neglecting the other side. Like I have a relative who has almost zero net worth now in their 70s, who for years has said, what's the point of money unless you spend it? Basically, they put their head in the sand whenever it came to planning for the future. That kind of drove me crazy because I saw how fast they were moving towards the edge of a financial cliff, but they simply weren't open to changing at all. Anyway, one thing I don't like about that Gen Z article was that it talked about quality of life versus money in the bank, and I wish it had been quality of life versus savings and investments. I think society puts too much focus on cash in the bank when they talk about what's smart to do financially, rather than talk about investing in good assets. Obviously some cash in the bank is prudent, but investing in decent assets is arguably a more important aspect to talk about. And whatever you do, make sure you're aware of what assets you own and how much you own. That might seem like Captain Obvious talking again, but I just saw this article that said that 1 in 4 Americans don't know how much they've saved for retirement. That doesn't mean you need to obsess over your retirement portfolio every day or every month, but I do think that you should be aware of where your money is and what your assets are and how much fees you may be paying and stuff like that. If you don't know the basics about your finances, then it's probably going to be harder for you to retire on a timeline you want. The accumulation stage is also when you're starting to pay off student debt if you have any, and it's when you're hopefully building up some sort of emergency cash account, and it's around when many folks start saving up to buy their first house. And it's often when people get married. In the accumulation stage, you really aren't focused too much on retirement and are instead just trying to build your asset base. The next stage you transition to is when you've been investing for a while and you more seriously start planning for retirement. Most people are in their 40s to 60s at this point. This is also when people tend to be pulling in the most money from their career, though they also probably have the highest expenses from mortgages, student debt, kids, cars, vacations, rising standards of living, etc. At this stage, I'll definitely be focused on blue chip dividend stocks over anything else, though paying away your debt is also important. If you decide that you want to own some higher yield dividend tickers to enable passive income, then you might consider SIN stocks and energy stocks at this stage, and you might also look at income ETFs. Of course, if you optimize for income, your total returns may suffer, but at this point you should be more aware of trade-offs your investing decisions are having. 
As you get closer to your 60s, you may start caring more about wealth preservation over anything else, which is another reason why classic blue chip dividend stocks can be nice equities to own. Utilities are also a common equity to own when you're in this stage as they tend to be conservative income plays with low volatility. In my opinion, in the first stage, you want to be 100% in equities and not in bonds, as long as you understand the risks and trade-offs of doing so. But as you get into your second stage, you might more seriously consider bonds. This data looking at U.S. stocks and bonds from 1926 until 2019 shows why I personally prefer to stay in stocks, though many financial advisors would say that's too risky. So the first row in this graph is for how portfolios that were 0% stocks, 100% bonds would have done over history. And you'll see that the best year would have increased your portfolio by 32.6%. And your worst year would have caused you to go down only 8.1%. And the annualized return of an all bond portfolio would have been a low of 5.3% per year. A 50-50 stock bond portfolio would have had 8.3% annualized returns over the very long run. And a 100% stock, 0% bond portfolio would have formed the best at a 10.3% average annualized return. You'll notice as you go down these rows and hold more stocks as a percentage of your portfolio that you'll have bigger up years but also bigger down years, which means if you can stomach big swings then you'll probably do better staying in stocks assuming the future is somewhat like the past. Now there are good reasons to go with bonds even though they've historically underperformed. I mean some people invest in bonds because they hope for smaller swings in their portfolio. And bonds can sometimes preserve your capital better than stocks and bonds can be more predictable in their returns along with they can provide steady streams of income from interest payments. All that being said, I still prefer 100% stocks. In this pre-retirement stage, you may come across statistics like this one, which shows the percentage of folks in the U.S. who have retirement savings broken down by race. So like 85% of Asians have some savings and investments, versus 80% of whites, versus only 63% of blacks, and 58% of Hispanics. Part of what that tells me is that Americans of all backgrounds need some financial help, especially among black and Hispanic communities. Those demographics are less likely to be prepared for retirement, and those that have some assets set aside still probably don't feel too confident in their financial futures. And this data shows the percentage of Americans who perceive their retirement savings and investments as being on track. Asians are the highest at about 47% of them, followed by whites at 42%, blacks at 23%, and Hispanics at 22%. It's statistics like those that help explain why I preach not only investing, but also to live more frugally. I'm not saying live like a homeless person, but I am saying cut out your waste and invest intelligently so you can buck the trends and averages, which you're already doing by watching this video. And because you're working at improving your financial literacy and are working on investing, I'm confident you'll get to the third stage in a better spot than most people, and that's the retirement stage of being a dividend investor. If you've been investing for a good amount of time and you've been living within a budget, then I'd bet you'll be able to retire in your 40s or 50s, but even in your 60s would still be good. This is the stage where dividend stocks really shine as they provide you with income to supplement your social security or pensions or whatever other forms of money you have flowing in. Some folks are still working at this stage and hopefully you're not one who's doing that unless you want to. The retirement stage is when many dividend investors sell out of their non-dividend yielding stocks and move 100% into dividend stocks if they're not already there. They may also sell some low yielding stocks in favor of higher yielding ones at least until they meet their passive income needs. Often in your retirement years is when your mortgage gets paid off but you also take on more expenses due to health issues. Some dividend investors adopt a hybrid strategy at this point, where their dividends pay some of their bills, but they're also required to sell some shares, assuming their dividend income and other sources of income don't end up covering their expenses. This is the stage where people need to make sure that they have a will or a trust or an estate plan so they can hopefully leave their assets to their kids or to charity, amongst other things. I personally want to help my kids financially when they're young adults, not just wait until I'm six feet under, because I'd rather they start becoming more financially secure sooner rather than later, though I'm also cognizant of doing that carefully so they still strive for their own success. Anyway, trusts provide for the management and distribution of your assets during lifetime and after death. A will, on the other hand, allows you to do things like name guardians for your children, appoint an executive for your estate, and declare your final wishes. Wills take effect after your death, so they don't protect your assets if you become incapacitated. 
Trusts bypass probate and are less likely to be successfully challenged, which gives your finances and beneficiaries privacy. Probate is just the process of proving in court that a deceased person's will is valid. It identifies and inventories the deceased person's property and has that property appraised, which includes taxes and all debt. It also includes distributing the remaining property as the will dictates. One of my relatives is an estate lawyer, so my wife and I have worked with them on setting things up. I'd actually set up your wills and estate plans and such around when you're getting married and then if you have kids and any other big changes. Okay, and another common activity in this last stage is that some people downsize, selling their house in favor of getting a smaller, more manageable place with less costs. Some people also choose to move overseas to a less expensive place, either to retire sooner and or perhaps so their money goes further, or just because they want to live somewhere exciting. We'd like to move to Europe or South America or Asia or somewhere, and my family might move once the kids are further along in their education. Now, even in this stage, it's probably prudent to continue to invest, albeit at a slowed down pace. Like take 5-10% to of your dividend income and reinvest it back into your portfolio to keep pushing it along. Hopefully between doing that as well as your dividend hikes, then your spending power will keep growing faster than inflation. Plus my guess is that there will be more and more life extending technologies invented as time goes on. So who knows, we may all live another 100 years, and so continuing to push for your portfolio's growth is prudent. And that's another reason why I hate the classic 4% portfolio selling rule in retirement. I mean the last thing I want to be worried about is living too long and outliving my portfolio. This final stage is when you're doing your withdrawals from your retirement accounts, either Roths or traditional IRAs or whatever, so you're finally benefiting from all the years that you've been investing. Now I take early distributions of my dividends out of my retirement accounts, and since I'm under the age that you normally do it, I have to pay a penalty tax. But I gotta admit that I love being able to finally get something productive out of my retirement accounts that I've been investing into for three decades. The retirement stage is awesome because it represents the culmination of potentially decades of investing in your hard work, and anything you work hard for you'll enjoy all the more. Being retired is honestly even better than I imagined it would be, and maybe that's just because I had some really toxic jobs or I don't know why. Anyway, I'm confident that you'll make it there as well, if you're not already there. And with that, I'd like to end this and briefly talk about my new channel partner memberships, which are a way for anyone to be able to get some of my upper tier Patreon perks that have been sold out for months. What you do is click on the join button on my channel or on any of my videos, and then you can sign up for about five bucks a month. And then when you do that and go to my channel, you'll not just see the normal tabs of home, videos, playlists, community, and store, but you'll also see a new tab called membership. In there, you'll be able to vote on which thumbnail I use for my next video, and you'll get to watch my videos the day before I release them to everyone on YouTube. I'll also post some original content in the membership tab that you won't find anywhere else, and one of the really cool things is that when channel partners leave a comment on any video of mine, then they'll have a special badge by their name which shows how long they've been a partner for. So like new channel partners start with a red star icon, and then at 6 months they change to a silver star, and then at a year they have a gold star icon on their comments. For example, before Zark Coma joined his channel partner, he left a comment on my Meta Dividend video asking what happens to Meta if Zuck becomes incapacitated, since Zuck has most of Meta's voting control. I answered him and then he joined as a Gen X channel partner, and he wrote back to my response and his latest comment had his shiny new red star badge. Beyond that, channel partners will also get to use special emojis in my comment section that no one else will have access to, and I'll work with my partners on changing things based on what the majority of them want and that I agree to, whether that's having different badges or adding in specific emojis or whatever. The TLDRs that my new channel partners offering is a fun way that fans can get some cool perks and have more influence over my YouTube channel. And now I'd like to pitch my Seeking Alpha affiliate link in the description of this video, as using it often comes with benefits for new member signups. I paid for Alpha's premium membership for years because I value their articles and associated comments so much, and these days I'd literally never buy or sell a stock without first reviewing what Seeking Alpha had on it. Regardless of what you do, please hit that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Also, don't forget to join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has over 11,000 dividend investors on it from 80 countries around the world. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor and my videos are for entertainment and inspirational purposes only. 
investing of any kind involves risk. I'm only sharing my opinions with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.